Welcome to the sermon podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To learn more, visit TimberlakeChurch.org. Now get ready for today's message, which we hope will be inspiring as well as challenging. Thanks for joining us. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the last week of our series. It's called Faith in Real Life. Honestly, I'm a little sad that we're coming to the end. I hope this is a beginning, not an ending for you. This series has stirred up a number of conversations in my life. I hope it has done the same for you. I pray that the sermon lives past Sunday morning. I really do, that it creeps into your Sunday dinner conversations, that it comes into your life group conversations. Uh, we, we invest an awful lot in preparing a message for you that is good and fruitful. So please join me in that effort, friends. Let's keep the conversation going. Um, one of the things I love about preaching also is that some of you want to dig deeper and you say, oh, this is good. Let me get more of it. And so here's a couple resources I can recommend to you. A couple books. The one on the left is called Every Good Endeavor by a pastor who actually died recently, sadly, but a great, great pastor and mentor for a lot of us. His name is Tim Keller. And this book is about God's work and about your work and about the intersection of your work and God's work. The other book up there is by a theologian, one of the greatest theologians of our time. Actually, his name's Andy Crouch. He was the um, editor of Christianity Today for a long time. Um, anyhow, it's called Culture Making, and it's excellent, excellent reflection on our work and how we are co-creators with God in creating a world and creating a culture that is glorifying to God and, and for the flourishing of God's people. So I recommend those books to you. I also recommend to you Right Now Media, which is a wonderful resource. The church has purchased it, which means it's free for you. So if you do not currently have an account, what you can do right now while I'm talking is take out your phone and scan that QR code with your phone and get a free account and then use it for your Bible study in your life group, your personal study, et cetera, et cetera. What I want you to do if you're interested in more about this series in particular is to go to Right Now Media and search Work as Worship. If you search Work as Worship, you're going to get a couple dozen different really good series, including some by Pastor J.D. Greer and some by Stewardship Guru um, Dave Ramsey and some by author Nona Jones. And so please, please use this. It is for you. I hope that you are taking to heart the message of this series, friends, that by virtue of your baptism, you are a missionary. You are a minister of the gospel. And yes, we call these pastor types ministers, but every disciple of Jesus is a minister. I want you to believe that. I want you to live that way. I want you to live as to share the good news with Jesus, with everybody in your life, and to see your work as an opportunity to do that. I hope that you are persuaded through this course of this series that in the kingdom of God, there are no small jobs. There are only small ways of thinking about our work or big ways of thinking about our work. And I want you to think big, friends, because you can make a big impact. This church can make a big impact. There are no small jobs. A few weeks ago, we talked about hospital janitors. Hospital janitors who understand that their work of cleaning is part of the essential healing ministry of the healthcare system that they are a part of. Think about where we would be in this life without people to do the most basic essential jobs of our society. You ever thought about that? What would you do with all the trash that you create in a day and in a week and in a month if there was no one to take your trash for you? 
What would you do to teach your kids algebra or calculus if there were no algebra and calculus teachers, friends? What would you do uh, if no one knew how to change the spark plugs in your Chevrolet, right? I mean, we need people who can do the most basic things in society to keep our culture, our society running to bless one another and see these small tasks have big implications, and they are so very important. All this is to say this. Your work matters. Your work matters. Everybody say, my work matters. Ready? My work matters. It matters, friends, and I want you to believe it. I believe it. I hope that you believe it. And when we say work, by the way, we don't mean just nine to five, the office, right? We mean whatever your hands find to do. We mean whatever work God has given you to do day to day, whether it's go to school or be retired or go to the office, uh, whether it's something you do at home or out in the world, whether it's paid or unpaid, whatever your work is, it matters. And I'm telling you today, it matters to God. God is pleased when you are living out the vocation that God has called you to. It matters to your neighbors. Because your neighbors depend on you doing your part to create a community in which we can all thrive. And it matters to this church. It matters tremendously to this church. Because when you do your work to the glory of God and for the blessing of your neighbors, you are living out the mission of Timberlake. You are becoming and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I want you to understand and appreciate most of the mission of this church does not happen in this room. Most of the mission of this church happens out there in the world where you live and work. And so, friends, your work matters. And I want to even expand your understanding of how much it matters today by helping you see that it matters not just for this life. It matters for the next life. And it matters not just for earth. It also matters for heaven. And if that sounds a bit hubristic or grandiose, then just stick with me here, okay? Uh, Let's go to the Bible. The first book of the Bible is called Genesis. Genesis means what? Do you know? Beginning, right? And it says, in the beginning. In the beginning, God made a world and God filled it with all sorts of wonderful things like tomatoes and sweet corn and hummingbirds and trout streams. And God made a man, And God put the man in the garden that God had created, and God gave the man good work to do. This is what Jacob read for us earlier. Genesis 2, verse 15, it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? Work it and take care of it. Okay, let's situate ourselves here in this story. Where are we in the creation story? Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Two versions of the same story of God creating a world. When does it happen that the fall of man occurs? Do you know in Genesis? When does sin enter in? Which chapter? Three. The fall comes in chapter three. Okay, which means the work that God is giving Adam to do in Genesis 2 is not a curse. It is not a punishment for sin. It's a blessing. It's a gift, right? God says, join me in creating a world. Join me in making something beautiful of our lives together. Okay, friends, this is really important. In the beginning, work is not 
a curse. Work is good. It is a blessing. It is part of God's design, part of the natural order of the world that God has made. God works for the sheer joy of it. I mean, why else would God work? God doesn't need to work, right? But God enjoys work, surely. And then God says to his children, join me, Join me, children, in this blessed, beloved work that we get to do together. And what I want you to see is that in the end of the Bible, the story is the same. It's being renewed, that the goodness of work is being affirmed and renewed. And in heaven, according to the Bible, in heaven, we will have good work to do. Now, when I say that to Christian people, sometimes there's a, there's a timeout moment like, whoa, I thought heaven was for rest, and you're telling me I have to work. And you're like, preacher, I'm tired. You know, I just want to lay down for a while, please. I want to sit on the porch of heaven and drink sweet tea with my neighbors, right? And we have this picture of rest in heaven, and that is true. And so please do not worry. Uh, there is rest in heaven. Uh, work and rest are not mutually exclusive, of course, um, but we affirm it in Revelation 14, 13. It says this, and this, by the way, is John recording what he, he has seen from Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, they will what? Rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Now, this is what we put on tombstones, right, historically? Three words, rest in peace, right? Because isn't that what we wish for, for, for grandma or grandpa or mom or dad, when, when they're getting older and, and they're getting weary and, and we see they're slowing down and they're, they're tired and they're in pain and they say, oh, you know, everything's sore, everything hurts, it hurts to sit up, it hurts to lay down, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And we pray for them, oh, Lord, just give them rest. Lord, give them rest. Take away their weariness and the suffering. Lord, give them peace. And so that's what we pray for. And this is the promise, friends, of the Scripture. God will give us rest. God will give us peace. We will have our energy renewed. We will be lifted up, the Bible says, on wings like eagles. We will have hope in the face of despair. Heaven will be restful. Now, not necessarily like angels playing harps laying on clouds, right, which is what you saw in, in the movies, uh, but nevertheless restful. But notice, rest is not the only thing we will do in heaven. The Bible says we will feast in heaven, and so Holy Communion is a foretaste. It's an appetizer of the heavenly banquet. We know that worship happens in heaven. We continually sing the praises of Almighty God, but another thing we will do in heaven is work. We will have blessed, holy, life-giving work. So here we are in Revelation 14. We're going to fast forward about uh, like eight chapters to the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Look at verses 1 through 2 of the last book of the Bible. Again, John recording what he has seen. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Okay, so this is a picture of heaven, friends. This is a description of your heavenly home. I want you to notice some things. There's a city there. This is the New Jerusalem. There is a garden there. And through the garden flows the river of life. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? 
Out of me flows living water, right? And so this is the water that comes from the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. In the garden, there's a tree of life, and it has 12 crops. What do you know about the number 12 in the Bible? Think about the Old Testament. What does 12 signify? The tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, what does 12 signify? The disciples. Okay, so in the book of Revelation, the number 12 means the people of God. Israel first and later also the church. Okay, so the 12 crops of the tree, meaning this is the fruit of the kingdom of God, which is the gathering of all of God's people, the Israel and the church together in God's heaven. The fruit of the ministry of the kingdom of God is the gathering of all the saints in heaven. The people of God are there. They're fed by the fruit of the tree of life, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And we know the promise of Scripture is that in heaven there's no war and there's no conflict and there's no suffering and there's no disease. There's only goodness and peace and healing forever and ever. And in this heavenly setting, there is blessed work for God's people. Look at the next verse, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will do what? Serve him. Friends, in heaven, work takes the form of service to God. That is what your work is in heaven. And I wonder if you can imagine working in heaven. Some of you, yes. Some of you, not as much, right? Let's just be honest. When we hear the word work, it sometimes has a negative connotation, right? Because when you talk about work in this life, in this time in which we live, we think of mindless tasks. You know, your boss gives you something to do. You don't really want to do it. We think of backbreaking labor, right, like stacking bricks or splitting wood for the fire or standing over the sink washing the dishes again and again. Every day there's dishes somehow, right? And it goes on and on. Anyone who has ever pulled weeds... Anyone who has ever chased an ornery toddler who's running around, you know, without the diaper, and you're like, come here, get the diaper back on. Anyone who's ever put an engine back together and you somehow end up with more parts left over, and you're like, what do these things do? I don't know. Anyone who's ever experienced that, you know work can feel like a curse, right? Work can feel like a curse. Sometimes it does not feel like a blessing. Lord, we love you, but it feels like drudgery. It feels like punishment. It feels like suffering. Friends, that is the result of human sin. But here is the good news. Look at the first part of the verse. No longer will there be any curse. Okay? God is reversing the curse. What has been to us a curse hard, back-breaking toil and labor will be transformed into something good and right and beautiful. And this is what we mean when we say redemption. The biblical theological idea of redemption is God takes something bad and transforms it for your good. And God does that with work. God has reversed the curse. In heaven, work will never feel like a curse. It will only ever be a blessing for you. It will be wonderful and beautiful. It will be a way to participate in God's creation and his blessing of us and of everything God has made. It will be a way for us to partner with God in co-creating 
an eternal home for God's children. In heaven, works takes the form of service to God. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. This is the good news, friends. In heaven, there's no unemployment, right? Everybody works. Everybody is able to work. You ever had a season of your life when you couldn't work because you broke your leg or because you were having a, a, a mental illness or because spiritually you were down, right? And everybody will be able to work. None of these things will prevent us. Everyone can participate. Everyone can participate in this holy work. I love the way Pastor Tim Keller puts it. Tim Keller says, there will be work in the paradise of the future just as there was work in the paradise of the past because God himself takes joy in his work. In that paradise, you will be useful in the lives of others to infinite degrees of joy and satisfaction, and you will perform with all the skill you can imagine. Friends, work is a joy to the Lord, and he is sharing it with you in his heavenly home. So, if that's true, if for the Lord work is not a curse but a blessing, if your work is the calling of God, if your work is not just temporary but eternal, if in heaven there's not just laying around but also doing good, holy work, then the question remains for us, how shall we live in the meantime? What shall we do? Because we're not to heaven yet. We have some time to go, and maybe it's today or maybe it's not for 100 years from now. But there is a season now, between now and when we get to heaven. How shall we live? Well, let me ask you this. Are you living as a security guard or are you living as an investor? This is the difference, friends. These are sort of the two ends of the spectrum in how we live our lives. So let's put it like this. Let's say you have $1,000, okay? You have $1,000, and you take it to a security guard. You take it to a security guard, you say, hold this for me. And then you go away. Let's say you go away for five years, right? And then you come back to the security guard after five years. Now, what can you expect the security guard will give you back? $1,000, right? Not a penny more, not a penny less. For the purposes of this illustration, the security guard is paid by a third party. Okay, uh, don't worry, security guard's getting paid. Um, no interest, no interest. Um, so, $1,000, not a penny more, not a penny less, because that's security guard's job, is to guard it. And your security guard is the best in the world. And so your security guard has guarded it for you. Now, let's say, on the other hand, instead of giving your $1,000 to the security guard, you give your $1,000 to an investor. Now, again, very good investor, very wise, very smart. You go away for five years, and then you come back. What can you expect that your investor has for you? More, hopefully, right? How much more? 10% more? 20% more? 50% more? Maybe double what you had given? Jesus told a parable about this. In Matthew chapter 25, it's called the parable of the talents. Do you know this story? So a man goes away for a while, but before he leaves, he gives each of his three servants some of his treasure. And to one servant, he gives five bags of gold, and to another, he gives two, and to a third, he gives one. And then he goes away for a while, and then he comes back. 
And when he comes back to his service, the servant who received five bags of gold has invested it, and he's doubled the money. So he gives back to his master. Instead of just giving five, he gives him ten in return. And then the master goes to the second servant and he says, what do you have for me? And the second servant says, master, I have four bags of gold for you because you gave me two, but I doubled it, and now it's four. And then the master goes to the third servant and he says to the third servant, what do you have for me? And the third servant says, well, you know, I thought you were a harsh and cruel master, and so I was afraid. And so I took what you gave me and I went in the backyard and I buried it in a hole in the ground. And so here's your one bag of gold. Now, which servants is the master pleased with? Well, that's obvious, right? The ones who functioned as investors and not as security guards. But you see, this is not really a story about masters and servants, right? This, like all parables of Jesus, there's a deeper meaning. And the question then is, who is God? In your mind, is God a security guard or is God an investor? Right? Is God the, the kind of God who sits in heaven with his little black book and his eyeglasses and just looks at his notes and looks down at earth at you and has tried to catch you doing something wrong? And as soon as you've done something wrong, God says, aha, got him, and writes down a little note about how naughty you've been so that he can punish you later? Is that how God operates in your mind? Or, or is God an investor who invests in his children, in a father who invests in the lives of his children and who pours out the blessings of heaven and earth into your life and says, here, my child, I'm sharing what I have with you. Now, please take this and use it for the blessing of all the people around you. You see, friends, God is an investor. God is not a security guard. God is an investor, and God is seeking some men and women and children who will also invest in the kingdom of God. Understand, God doesn't need security guards, friends. God doesn't need us to protect stuff on his behalf. God wants you to invest what you have been given. So this is my suggestion to you about how we shall live between now and the time we get to heaven, is that we would invest that our work would be an investment, that we can make a holy and lasting and eternal investment in the things of God. Because what we do now will show up again in heaven. Now, how do we know that? Well, put up Revelation 14, 13 again. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor. Why? For their deeds will follow them. Friends, who you are on earth is going to show up again in heaven. And what you have done on earth is going to be revealed in heaven. And what you have failed to do will be identified in heaven. Your deeds follow you. Which means, on the day of judgment, when you stand before the judge who is righteous, you will be revealed in all of your unrighteousness. Can you imagine a scenario where everything you've thought and everything you've said, even in secret, is going to be revealed? That's a scary thought, isn't it? So part of this is we've got a lot to be forgiven for, don't we? Praise God that he is a gracious and merciful God. 
that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And when you stand before the judge, if you have died in Christ, even as you live in Christ, when the Father looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees only the righteousness of his Son that covers you. Now that's good news part one. If you are forgiven in Christ, then your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west, and you are forgiven. That's good news part one. Good news part two is this. All the good stuff that you've done, especially the good stuff that you thought nobody noticed, it's going to be celebrated in heaven. It's going to be exalted in heaven. And I know some days on earth are, we get weary don't we? We get tired because we work and we strive and we serve other people and it seems like they don't notice. And you wonder if your spouse appreciates you and you wonder if your children appreciate you and you wonder if you, the students in your classroom appreciate you and you say, does anyone appreciate me? Here I am working day after day after day and it seems like no one notices. Can I tell you, friends? God notices. God notices. And the things that you have done in this life, on this earth, will be celebrated and recognized in heaven. And the greatest hope that we would have is that you would stand before the Lord and he would take his hands and put them on your shoulders and say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Say amen if you can. Amen. Amen.